0: Awesome. Let's turn to Revelation chapter fifteen. Revelation fifteen. Blessed that you guys are here tonight. What a great time of worship, amen. amen. Revelation fifteen. We're now three and a half years into the great tribulation. We've hit a gap into in our text here tonight. Um, it's really kind of a prologue or a prelude into the next portion. Of Revelation. It's a prologue of the seven final judgments, the completion of God's wrath upon the earth. And just when things are bad, they're about to get even worse. And we're just going to read the word of the Lord tonight, Revelation 15. It's eight verses tonight. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have, have excuse me, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, "Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O king of the saints." Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Lord, we uh, thank you for your word tonight. We thank you just for that time of worship, Lord, as we just set our hearts on you tonight. God, with all of the chaos that is going on in the world, Lord, we just want to set our eyes on you. Lord, we want to surrender to you, God. We want to cling to you, Lord. We thank you for the encouragement of your word, God. Even tonight as we go over a really a heavy topic, Lord, and as we begin just a really um, heavy part of Revelation, Lord, there is hope in the midst of all of this and God, we just want to look to you. We need your presence here. God, well, when you're here, Lord, there's freedom. When you're here, there is hope. When you're here, there is peace. So God, we need your presence here with us. Speak to us, Lord, encourage us tonight. We look to you in Jesus name. Amen, amen. Well, John looks and sees another vision, something he describes in the best possible way that he can. He sees seven angels and having with them the seven final judgments. Again, we're in the middle of the great tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. We're three and a half years into it, and we're about to see these, these um, intense bowls of wrath that is the complete wrath of God to judge the earth. This is not something that the world has ever seen before and will never see again, the the complete wrath of God upon the earth. But something we also see that is really interesting as we prelude into the the seven um, final judgments in the upcoming chapters that we'll go on uh, to to study in the upcoming weeks, we see something really interesting tonight. John also sees those who had victory over the beast Standing on the sea of glass, singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Remember, we, saw, we, we, we heard about when, when John got this vision of heaven, he saw the sea of glass, but something is different in this vision. As he sees the sea of glass, he also sees fire upon it, like really the, the wrath of God, fire just being the, the image of the wrath of God that is going to come from this. Um, but he also sees standing on the sea of glass, those who have victory over the beast, who in the world are these people? They sound pretty awesome. <laughs> those who have victory over the beast are standing on the sea of glass. Really, these people um, are—we're going to see—are those who have uh, have died in the middle of the tribulation, but. I saw a really interesting article in the Smithsonian Magazine this week. Uh, Pastor Jim sent me this article. We were meeting all together in a meeting, and he told me he read this article, and I was like, I need that for Thursday night because this is just a really, really cool article. But the article in the Smithsonian Magazine this week, it was um, the title of it was, Some Neurons in Your Brain Respond to Singing but Not Other Music. Really interesting, they tested 15 individuals with 165 different noises and the study showed that a specific set of neurons only only responded to singing, but not other sounds like speaking or instrumental music. One professor said the singing voice is the only musical instrument that almost everyone is born with, so one might expect us to have a rather different relationship with human song relative to other kinds of music. In the study's conclusion, the scientists don't know why some neural populations respond only to singing, but some think it may have to do with our survival. And one scientist stated at the end, to be able to distinguish the musical properties of sounds is fundamental for survival. If you don't know me, I'm a worship leader here. And I believe this to be 100% true from experience, but I think it has way more to do than with just your physical survival. I believe God did give us our singing voice for survival, but even more for spiritual survival. Worship is given to spiritually survive. Those who have victory over the beast. This refers to those who were martyred for their faith during the tribulation. This is not referring to those who made it out alive and survived it, but specifically those who were faithful unto death, those who died for their faith. And though the Antichrist killed them, notice they were still victorious the view of victory is skewed from the world. Victory is often seen as being the most powerful person or nation in the world. We're seeing that really in our face today in current events. That victory is the being the most powerful person in the world or the most powerful nation in the world, but even the most powerful nation and the most powerful people still lose in the end when it comes to the victory of Jesus. I have, uh, I'm in, in seminary right now, and I, I had to write a paper on, um, on the book of Daniel, and I had to write a paper on just a narrative overview of Daniel, and one of the parts of my paper I, I found really, really interesting was in Daniel chapter 7, and we've studied this, this part together about the Daniel's really intense vision of the four great beasts, you guys remember, the. Um, these uh, The four great beasts that represent four great kingdoms, they're terrible kingdoms, they're destructive, they're powerful, they're just incredibly awesome, but in the bad way, in the worst way possible. But when he kept looking, as he sees these beasts, that the beasts that are like the lion, um, the uh, the leopard, all of those kind of things, all of these incredible beasts, as he keeps looking, he sees the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne. He describes seeing in his vision, Daniel describes seeing the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne and establishing his everlasting kingdom through the Son of Man. Though they were powerful, God protected his people, the minority in the midst of the powerful kingdoms. And remember when Daniel is written, this is written in the middle of Babylonian exile. So this is written to the the Jews that were living in the midst of exile in Babylonia. And as he's talking to, to these people, he sees this vision as he's recording this vision. He's talking about this prophetic word of, of these four other kingdoms that are going to come after, after, um, uh, after Babylon. He talks about the lion, which was representing Babylon. Then he talked about these other beasts that represented the Medo-Persians, Greeks, and the Romans. And he's talking about how their exile is not just going to last for a little bit for 70 years. He's like, your exile is going to last for 490 years under these incredibly intense, horrific, terrible kingdoms. Man, that's really discouraging for someone living in exile. Like, are we ever going to get out of here? Are we ever going to make it out alive? Are we going to get out of here? But there's a pivot in his vision, and Daniel sees the glimpse of hope. He sees the glimpse of hope in the midst of his vision. He sees the Ancient of Days. He sees God in the midst of all of the terrible kingdoms and in the midst of all of the great beasts that are coming. He still sees the Ancient of Days, God sitting on his throne. And in the very end, he establishes his kingdom through the Son of Man, through Jesus Christ, a kingdom that will last forever and ever. No other kingdom is going to come against it. No other people, no other person is going to tear it down. It lasts forever and ever. The message to the exile, the message to the stranger in a strange land, the message to the slaves is there is hope coming. The kingdom of God is coming, and it's going to reign forever and ever. Amen? But the moral of the story in Daniel, what I loved about this, the moral of the story is not just prophetic, but it was also to encourage the exiles, the strangers in a land that the ancient of of days will ultimately confront the beast, the metaphorical beast, the symbolic beast of the world, and rescue his people and and the rest of the world and establish his everlasting kingdom over all of the nations. Really, the ultimate um, picture here is that the ancient of days will destroy the beast. And that's what we've been seeing in the book of Revelation. As we've been seeing and hearing about all these things, the hope in Revelation is that Jesus will destroy the beast, that he does not reign in the end, he does not rule in the end, he is the destroyer of every beast of the world, That is the hope that we even get to see as we're praying for what is going going on around the world, as we see what's happening in Ukraine and and the the war that is happening right now, this battle that is going back and forth. And as Christians, there is hope that we can bring to the rest of the world that the Ancient of Days is sitting on the throne. He hasn't left the throne, no king, no kingdom, nothing is going to, to tear down the Ancient of Days and the kingdom he is going to establish. There is hope not just for the Jews living in exile in Babylon, there is hope for the Christian who is living in a strange world. There is hope for every single one of us who is living in this strange world. This world is not our home. We're only passing through this world. This is not our home. Do you ever feel like, man, I just feel like we don't ever really belong. It always feels like there's just this this rubbing against what is happening in in our culture and what, what the world is saying is victory or what the world is saying is success. I just feel like it's different in my own life and that's because you're a stranger in a strange world. This is not your home. We're waiting for the everlasting kingdom that God is going to set up through his son, Jesus. And the book of Revelation is all about that, is all about what is going to happen in the end. So there is hope. There is hope for us that no beast is going to tear down the Ancient of Days. No beast is going to tear down the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No kingdom, no person is going to tear down the son of man who will establish that kingdom. That's the hope in the current events that we have right now. You do not have to fear. We don't have to fear about any missile that's going to come over here. (laughs) We don't have to fear about anybody infiltrating our gates or about even the United States going away. We don't have to fear about anything that is going to happen to this kingdom. Why, because we don't belong to this kingdom in the end. We belong to the kingdom of God, amen? So we don't have to fear, we need to run to the Lord, we need to pray, often in these times and often in these perilous kind of times, we say as a church we need to pray, and, and sometimes that can feel like a cop-out. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you're like, man, is it, all I have to do is pray? Do all Is really that it? I can only pray? But I can, I'm telling you right now, prayer is the most important thing that we can do in this time right now. It's to be connected to the Ancient of Days. To be reminded of his kingdom that is coming, and to pray for those who are hurting. Pray for those who are suffering. Pray for those who are losing their lives for no reason at all, to pray for these people that are suffering around the world. Not just in Ukraine, that is so important for us to do that as well, but there's so much suffering and stuff that is happening all around the world. We need to help those in need and to pray for them and to remind them that hope is coming. Amen, and anybody here tonight? So what is the, those who are victorious over the beast? What is their song? Well, uh, verse 3 in chapter 15 says, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Really interesting. They sing the song of Moses. And though Revelation was written in Greek and uh, was written during the Roman times, but written in Greek language. The book follows the characteristics of the rest of the Hebrew prophets. Really, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are very closely related. I really encourage you guys to kind of study both of them alongside each other, but they utilize a lot of the Hebrew prophets as they're writing. There's characteristics and there's a literary structure that they're following as they're writing. There's a a purpose and an intention to what they're writing. And a lot of times in, in their prophecies and in their poems and in their writings, as they're showing different images or symbolism or metaphors, a lot of times they'll utilize a lot of creation and exodus imagery. That was something that was embedded in their minds. Maybe for you, uh, for us, if we were writing the same things, maybe a movie would come to your mind. Or a lot of times, even now, when we're talking about current events and talking about things that happen, that are happening and that could happen, uh, what's the wars that we always go back to? World War I, World War II, the Cold War, we talk about all of these other the wars as a reference um, even though there's a lot of other wars that happen in the in in history, and human history, but for some reason that is our reference point. Man, this seems like World War II, or this seems like World War I, and that's what the prophets are saying. They're, they're showing imagery and they're showing different things that they're utilizing a lot of creation from Genesis and a lot of Exodus imagery of the um, Israelites being delivered from Egypt. So the Song of Moses, we get that in Exodus 15. I really encourage you guys to read it. It's 21 verses of this beautiful Song of Moses, the Song of Moses being uh, right after God delivers the Israelites from bondage to Egypt, and as He helps them to cross over the Red Sea, and Moses, you guys remember the story, and if you didn't, you probably saw the Prince of Egypt. So you got you got a piece of it going on here. But you, when they, when He put His rod into the water, the water splits. They start going through the Red Sea, and. Uh, you know, um, I was really blessed to be able to go with um, Pastor Derek to, to go see the Red Sea, and we got to, um, I got to swim with dolphins in the Red Sea. I didn't even know dolphins were in the Red Sea. Let me just tell you, one, contrary to common belief, the Red Sea is not red. So... It's very blue. Um, but I, when, when I've seen it on, like, in the Prince of Egypt or in different, different kind of, like, visual displays, um, nothing is quite like seeing it for real. And going to the Red Sea and actually imagining this sea that is parted. The sea that is parted. And when we were there, it was like, man, I couldn't even imagine. I could not even imagine this. It was like the ocean, right? It was like the closest thing to me would be like if he parted the Pacific Ocean. It was that huge. And just to think that God, that God separated the waters to lead his people through, to deliver his people out of Egypt. And when Pharaoh and the rest of his soldiers were following after, him, after them, they closed. He closed the water on top of them and destroyed um, Pharaoh and his soldiers. And after they crossed over to the other side, Moses stopped the people of God, he stopped Israel, and he sang a song. And the song that he sang was this song of deliverance. It's a beautiful song. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. I really encourage you guys to to read it. But it is this song of deliverance. Deliverance from Egypt Deliverance from Pharaoh, who is a beast in human history. Deliverance from Pharaoh. Deliverance from Egypt. And then he also, in, in verses um, 3 and 4, that song that is sung is, are quotes from various scriptures of deliverance. You could probably see it in your footnotes in, the, in your own Bible. Is, is just going through where, where um, you know, John was pulling some of these things from or where these people are singing some of these things from throughout the Bible. But he sang, they sang the song of Moses. Is the song of deliverance from Egypt. But they also sing something else. They sing the song of the, of the Lamb. The song of the Lamb. This is the song of deliverance for the Christian from Egypt, the world, from the world, and from the beast. These people are singing this beautiful song. One, it's the song of deliverance from Egypt, from Pharaoh, the beast. And now they're also singing the song of the Lamb, this beautiful connection of the Old and the New Testament. Deliverance from the Old Testament, deliverance from the New Testament. This beautiful song that God delivers. He delivers his people from the world and from the chaos of the world and from the beast who is trying to destroy them. God brings his deliverance. And look at how the song describes God. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. This beautiful song that is pointing to just the great and awesomeness of God. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Now remember, this is the prelude to the wrath of God. And the people are seeing what is about to happen and when they see what is about to happen, they say, great and marvelous are your works. It's not just all of his works from the past and from the present, but they're glorifying him for what he is about to do. The judgment of God is great and marvelous. It is just, it is right. He is doing this righteously and holy and perfectly. Just and true are your ways, they sang, O King of the Saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, meaning there is nobody like you, no kingdom like you, no king like you, no, there is nobody like God. For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. This beautiful, beautiful song of worship and this beautiful song of deliverance. For me, because I'm a worship leader and love music, music is really nostalgic for me. I don't know if it is for for some of you. Music reminds me of places, reminds me of, of past experiences. There's, um, there was a song that, um, that was playing in the coffee shop in Beyond Coffee the other day, and it just brought me back to experience that my wife and I had, this beautiful worship song that just brought me, I mean, I could smell and see and like just experience it all over again. There's certain guitars that I'll hear, certain electric guitars that I'll hear that will bring me right back to the 15-year-old emo kid I grew up to be. There are certain songs that you may hear, maybe it's an 80s song, or I, Ken Frizzell is in here, he shows me a bunch of 80s songs that brings him right back into to the, the man that God created him to be as, as an 80s music lover. But music is nostalgic. There's this sentiment that is tied to certain music in our lives. And it reminds us, a lot of times, music reminds us of our spiritual journey. And for the Hebrew pro- poet here, God's deliverance reminded him of the exodus and reminded him of the songs of deliverance. My question for you tonight, in everything that's going on, and in the, in, even apart from the chaos of the world, but things that are just going on into your personal life, what is your song of deliverance? what is your song of deliverance? You know, when we were singing this uh, this evening, the first song, Raise a Hallelujah, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Raise a hallelujah, hallelujah might not be your song of deliverance, but when that storm hits, when the tribulation hits, when the persecution hits, when something goes wrong in our lives, what is the song of deliverance that comes to your heart, that comes to your mind? Is the song of deliverance something that reminds you of the world? Is the song of deliverance something that reminds you of your past life? Man, like, like the Egyptians that were coming out of Egypt and they were, they were being reminded, oh, I wish we were back in slavery in Egypt. Things were so much better back in slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh, under all of that chaos. Things were so, is that the song of deliverance that comes to your mind when chaos hits, when tribulation hits, when the storm hits? What is the song of deliverance that comes to your mind? The title of tonight is Why We Worship and I was thinking about why do we want to sing a song song of deliverance? What is the purpose of singing songs of deliverance in the midst of a storm, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of persecution, when the beast just wants to stir up fear and doubt and insecurities and sin and temptation in the past life, what does worship do? Why do we worship in the middle of that? Why do we worship in the middle of the storm as we sang tonight? It's because so that we can stand with the rest of the victorious, that we can stand in victory over the beast. It is to stand, we worship to remind ourselves who God is. He is great and marvelous. He is the Lord God Almighty, just and true are his ways. We, re, we worship to remind ourselves of what God does. Everybody is going to fear the name of the Lord and bow to his name. We re, worship to remind ourselves of what God will do. He is just and true and righteousness and judgment will come. Wrath is going to come. We worship God to be delivered from what we're going through to be reminded of who he is and what he is going to do and what he has done. The martyrs, they had a a song of victory, but their song was worship. Their song was worship. What is your song of deliverance? And notice too how the focus of their song These guys, I mean, mean, for me, these guys are pretty amazing people. These guys are going to be people that stand in the face of the tribulation, of the great tribulation. These are men and women that are going to stand in the face of the rest of the world. And most likely the church is going to be raptured at this time. So they're going to be left alone against the rest of the world. And they're going to stare at the face of the Antichrist and they're going to be faithful to the end. I mean, these people are pretty amazing for me, honestly. For me, this is, these are men and women that are going to, to die in their faith, overcoming the temptation that is placed before them. But look at their focus. Their focus in their song is not about how faithful they were. Their focus in their song is not how strong they were in the midst of the storm. The focus of their song is not how they endured the temptation or they were able to, to face whatever came their way. Their focus is upwards. For you alone are holy. You, the worship before you. Your judgments have been manifested. Your ways, just and true, are your ways. Great and marvelous are your works. Everything is you and your. The focus is upward. The focus of these saints is upward. Their focus is not what is going on in their present circumstance or why um, they were able to overcome. Their song of victory is what God did for them, how God was victorious for them. And that is the blessing of us going to sing in the middle of the storm is that we don't have to sing and hope for victory. We can sing in the middle of victory because God has been victorious for us. We get to stand with, those who are standing in victory is not because of what they've done, it's because of who they're standing with. You know what I'm saying? Those who are standing in victory is not because they were victorious in the end, it's who they were standing with, and they're standing with the victor. They're standing with the one who is victorious. They're standing with Jesus. What is your song of deliverance? What is your song of deliverance in the middle of the storm? What is your song of deliverance in the middle of the chaos of this world? You know, I I um I've been uh, really kind of struggling with with um all of the 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 noise of like the the news and things like that. Just me personally, can I be honest with you guys tonight? Yes. A lot of there's there's not a lot of us, uh, so we can we can kind of be. Uh, be, be open and honest, right, and be kind of a little family here, right? So can I be honest with you guys? It, there's, there's even as a pastor in the middle of all these different things that, that are going on, the struggle for me in the midst of, of the noise of the news is just the back and forth of different agendas, the back and forth of different positions, and all these different things, and, and, uh, um, and I, I don't know about you, but for me, the, the moment I get on some kind of news thing, it is just immediately like depressing, and immediately like, not because of the chaos that's happening, but the, the agenda or the positions or the, the focus behind it. The focus behind it is just on all of this, the, uh, just, it's just nonsense for me, honestly. And a friend of mine, so I just started to turn it off. I just I took a season to just fast from the news and just turn off the noise. I will tell you what, it was one of the, the biggest blessings of my life to be able to just turn something off, turn all of the noise off, and just to, to focus on Christ again and to focus on the hope of Jesus again. Um, but a friend of mine, um, uh, and a, this is not a plug for anything, but a friend of mine gave me a... a um, a podcast that he listens to and it's it's uh, it's a really simple podcast I've been listening to it for a couple a couple of weeks but the thing I love about it, it's called the pour over and uh, I love coffee so anything about coffee is really nice for me but um, it's just a, a play on words the pour over is this, uh, this short, it comes out every couple of days, and it's a short um, recap of what's going on in the news. But what I love about it is the, the narrator who is giving the news, no position, no agenda. His agenda is to remind people the biblical hope in the midst of all of the news. And man, I felt so... Um, when I started to listen to some of it, I felt just this relief that it's like, men, as Christians, this is how we are supposed to respond to what is going on. This is how we're supposed to respond to what is going on. We know the end. We know what's happening in the end. We don't. May, we may not know when it's going to happen, and and uh, and you know all of the different things that are going to tip all of the, the 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 stones off. But we know what is going to happen. We know that Christ is going to be victorious. We have hope that we that uh, that God is going to deliver us, and that God can deliver anything. But we can get so caught up in the position, and so caught up in uh, the the news or whatever it is or all of the different nonsense things that we forget the reason why we're here. We forget the reason why we're here. And and I just wanted to close with this, you know, as, as John sees the vision of the temple, God's glory fills the temple. His glory fills the temple. It's, it, you see that here in verse 5, after these things, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle and the testimony in heaven was open. And down to verse 8, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And um, I just wanted to close with something uh, tonight, just in, in lieu of all of that, or in, in just connected to all of that. Um, nobody was able to enter the temple as God's glory filled the temple as the smoke filled the temple this again goes back to, it goes back to uh, um, the first five books of the Bible goes back to Leviticus there's another experience of, uh, the, like this that happens when they build um, the temple there's a moment when everybody builds a temple and nobody can enter the temple and they bring uh, God establishes the day of atonement and he cleanses the temple and that's when Moses can actually enter into the temple and so so i was as i'm studying through this i mean the question that you that should come to mind is why can't they enter the temple? What is the reason they can't enter the temple? And honestly, there's not really a clear reason, but here's a few to to chew on tonight. One, maybe it is like in Leviticus that he's cleansing the world, and so it's like the day of atonement of cleansing the person before they can enter into the temple, maybe. Maybe the reason is why there's no chance of intercession as the temple was for the priest to come in and intercede on behalf of the rest of his people, um, but this is the completion of God's wrath so there's no more chance of that kind of intercession and so they've closed the doors of the temple symbolically but I, I was reading a, a commentary this week of, of, Ch- uh, of Chuck Smith and Pastor Chuck had something I really liked about what he had to say about this and it just brought like the perspective back of how as Christians we're supposed to be in the world and I'm sorry I was like not wanting to, to get choked up and I'm not going to get choked up get back in there tear I'm not going to do it. But I like what Chuck Smith had to say about this. Pastor Chuck said he kind of likened this as he thought about when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and he looked out uh, on, onto Jerusalem, he began to weep over, over Israel and over their unbelief and their rebellion. As the Messiah has come and as the Messiah, you know, the, the, Jesus Christ being the Messiah that they were longing for and waiting for, and the people of God missed it. And he looked upon Jerusalem, and he's like, man, he started to weep and to cry out to them, I long to bring you under my wing, but you weren't willing. Why weren't you willing? Why weren't you willing? And he weeped in, in, his, in, in just his sorrow for the people of God in the rebellion and unbelief. And Pastor Chuck talked about how God does not delight in the death of the wicked. And his, what he said was maybe it is God who is sitting in the temple weeping over the destruction of the earth because of the result of their rebellion. And man, that struck a chord with me. I don't, I, we, we can't for sure say what, what, what that is, but that's a, a good maybe a good thought or a good um, guess of what is going on, but maybe it is God who is sitting in the temple weeping over the destruction of the earth, just as Jesus was weeping over Israel. He's weeping over the destruction of the earth because of the result of their rebellion. And I just think in, in like the, the the chaotic times that we're in, we can jump to the wrong conclusion and we can jump to the conclusion of Of fighting over positions and fighting over what the news says and what we believe about the news and how we should respond as a nation or as NATO or as the UN or whatever it is, like this is how we are supposed to respond. But again, we are the people of God in God's everlasting kingdom. Not in this kingdom, not in the UN, not in NATO, not in the United States. We are we are people of God in his everlasting kingdom. And as we pro- approach the wrath of God, it's easy to approach it and go, yes. Like, destroy them, God. It's easy to look at it and go, yes, get them. Get them for all that they're doing. Like, this is, this is what they deserve. And the reality is, is we all deserve the same wrath. We all deserve the same wrath that is going to completely be poured out upon the earth. But God has, has revealed to us his son. He's revealed to us the son of man that, came, that is going to establish his kingdom. He's revealed to us the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And through faith in him and through our belief in him, we are saved from his wrath. And God doesn't delight in the destruction of the wicked. He's not delighting over this. And I think that we need to look at the world with God's eyes. As we approach what is going on in the world, as we approach what is happening in Ukraine, as we approach what is going on in the rest of the world and what is to come, and as we approach Revelation 16, 17, 18, and 19, as we approach the bowls of wrath that are going to be poured out on the world, I just pray that our heart is to see through God's eyes, to weep over the, the, the destruction of the earth and to cry out for the deliverance of the world, to cry out a song of deliverance for the world and for what is going on in our world, to cry out for and to intercede on the rest of the world to intercede for them, to weep over the destruction of when men are left to decide uh, good from evil for themselves. This is what happens, and this is what has happened. Like the Old Testament is story after story after story, and that's what Daniel 7 was talking about. There's going to be kingdom after kingdom after kingdom with rulers and leaders who want to decide what is good and evil for themselves. And what happens when men and women try to decide what is good and evil for themselves? It is exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. Destruction comes into the world, and we become like beasts. When we decide what is good and evil, we become like the beasts of the world. And so, as we're looking at what is going on, this is what happens. We're, gonna, we're weeping over the destruction of when men are left to decide what is good and evil for themselves. They become beasts. But it's time to reach the world with the good news. It's time to reach the world around us while we still have time. Maybe it is the, the doors of the temple are closed and nobody can come in because there's no more chance of intercession. Maybe it is for that reason. We have time to intercede right now. And the time that we have right now, we don't want to waste on bickering. We don't want to waste on fights and debates and positions and this, that, and the other. The time that we have right now, we have the time to intercede for this world that is destroying itself. And the, the power that we have, the power is not in the leader or the kingdom. Because even as Daniel, I keep going back to Daniel 7, I apologize. But even as Daniel 7 talks about... I just wrote a paper for seven pages, so it's embedded in my mind right now. That's all I've been studying. <laughs> but even in Daniel chapter 7, as he's talking about these kingdoms that are coming, the, the God's talking about his encouragement and hope to the people of Israel is that he's going to deliver them through those kingdoms. How could he do that? They're, all of these kingdoms, they're not kingdoms of Israel. It's Babylon Babylon. It's the Medo-Persians, it's Greek, it's Romans, and all these people hate the Israelites. All these people hate the Jews. So many of them were just like Hitler that wanted the destruction of Jews or wanted the destruction of Christians. How could these people get through? There's no way. They can only get through if there was a majority. That's the only way. Or they could only get through if they had the right leader or they had the right system or the right kingdom. That's the only way they could make it through. And yet, the people of God made it through year after year, kingdom after kingdom, thousands of years of not having their own land and still were established as a nation once again. Why? Because the victory belongs to the Ancient of Days why? Because the victory belongs to the greatest king of all of the earth, and that is Jesus Christ. And so the power is not for us. The power is not in trying to get the right leader and systems and all those things. The power is to cling to our leader, Jesus Christ, and to tell the world about that good news and the hope that comes from that. The hope that comes from the gospel that there is Hope in the midst of the destruction. There's, there is joy in the midst of the chaos and that we cling to the Lord and intercede on behalf of the world while we still have time. Don't waste your time on all of those other things. The time is so precious to us right now. It's precious to us because we don't know how much time we have left in the world and how much time the world has. But time is precious for us because we don't know how much time we have it could be today, it could be tomorrow that I have. You know, uh, I just turned 34 this week, and my, my mom, when she, uh, she passed away of cancer, and she passed away at 34 years old, so this year for me is really like sobering year for me because it's like, man, my life could be taken like that. And I could lose the time that I have like that. What am I spending my time on? What is the song of deliverance that I'm singing in the middle of the storm? What is our song of deliverance that we are singing and over the nation of United States? What is the song that we're singing over the nation of Ukraine? What is the song that we're singing over the nation of of Russia? What is the song of deliverance that we're singing in the midst of our storm, personally? Maybe you're going through a marriage crisis. Maybe you're going through a parenting crisis, a relationship crisis. You're in the middle of just serious, serious depression in your own life, what is the song of deliverance? What is your song of deliverance? God has hope for you. He has hope for you. The hope is he destroys the beasts of the world. No matter what the beast of your world may be, no matter what is fighting for the throne of your kingdom, God is the destroyer of those beasts. He is the ruler and reigner of, of, of our lives. He rules and reigns over our lives. And so cling to him tonight, amen. amen? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for this message of hope to us, God. Lord, it's easy for us to get, to get caught up in the things that don't matter. So easy for us, Lord, to... To forget your message, to forget your gospel, it's easy for us, Lord, for those things to just muddy all of the, the truths, all of the facts. We're so easily distracted, Lord, and I just want to pray over this group in this room. Lord, it even seems like in this room, it could seem like, what in the world could I do to make a difference? There's nothing I could do to make a difference. I'm just one person or just a couple hundred people. What in the world could we do in times like these? But God, you have used even less in this room to impact the world for your kingdom. God, all you're searching for is willing hearts, and I pray, Lord, as a church, that we would just open our arms to you, open our hands to you, that we would surrender to your will, and that we would be willing to, to do whatever you're calling us to do. God, you're the one who has the power. It doesn't matter what power we bring to the table or what influence we bring. God, you have the ultimate influence, the ultimate power, and the greatest message. And so, God, we want to be used by you as a church, as a community, as a family, Lord, we just desire to be used by you. We ask, Lord, that you would put in our hearts a song of deliverance, Lord. Lord, I know you've spoken this over my life of of being a a worship leader, but I'm I'm in the presence of a bunch of worship leaders in this room that all have the ability to write their own song of deliverance. And I pray, God, that you would write that on their hearts. Lord, maybe the song of deliverance is something that they've heard before or something that they've read before. Or maybe the song of deliverance, God, is what they're reading on their own in their own devotions, what they're experiencing with you personally that nobody else has experienced. And I pray, Lord, that you would write on each person's heart in this room your song of deliverance in the middle of the storm. For those watching online, listening, that they would write their own songs of deliverance in the middle of the storm. Remind us of your hope, Lord. Lord, when we get distracted, we pray that you'd wake us up to not waste the time that you've given us on things that don't matter, but to take captive the the time that we have and to intercede for the world, to intercede for the lost, that our hearts would break as your heart breaks give us your eyes of compassion for the people around us. Fill us with your spirit tonight, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name.